But if there are people who've done something that we might also aspire to, why not say if she can do it, if he can do it, I can do it too. Or even if I like the way they conduct themselves in the meeting, I'm not going to act like them, but I can learn from that person. Hello, I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is hopefully your favorite career podcast where you get the insights to go from motion into action and make things happen. I'm your host, Johanna Herbst. I'm a certified executive and career coach with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness, and have some fun along the way. This week, we will talk about personal disruption and how this one factor or experience can result in unleashing the greatest personal transformation in your life. My guest for this very, very exciting topic is Achim Novak, and I have his permission to say Achim instead of Akim, but I think we will get to that. So Achim is an executive coach, TEDx speaker, host of the My Fourth Act podcast, and the author of four books on personal excellence. His writing has been published in numerous anthologies and received a Penn Syndicated Fiction Award. His work has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, USA Today, and on NPR and NBC. Achim is based in Florida in the U.S., I'm very excited to see you again. How are you doing this morning? Or should I say good morning? We're, we're not, we're not going to annoy no. our listeners by speaking in no. I'm in a really good mood. And for me, it is really a treat to speak with a fellow um, European who spent a lot of time in New York. So I'm excited about the, the similarities that we share in our stories. Me too. And I hope we will show it sometime, but there is a lot we have in common. And to get things started, I always like to start with rapid fire questions, short questions, short answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. As we just heard, you are also originally from Germany. What is still typical German about you? I like very traditional fishy German food, like like herring, like rollmops, <laughs> like all these things where my American friends go, ooh, I don't want to eat that. And I can eat that every day that I'm in Germany. Wow. And you live now in sunny Florida. Do you ever miss a cold, snowy winter? I never ever do i live i lived in <laughs> i lived in new york for over 25 years and i'm a florida cliche like i left new england and new york because i didn't want to shovel snow in the west village in front of the building anymore i love it what do you need to be at your best it's very basic i i believe in a good night's sleep i like to meditate in the morning briefly I, I like to be fully also in my body. So my favorite exercise is lap swimming. So that's, that's just about being fully in me and not being distracted. We have a new similarity. I love lap swimming as well. So my eyes look still a tiny little bit funny <laughs> because I've been swimming before. <laughs> okay, that, I love that. And say, so if you could have dinner with any famous person, dead or alive, whom would you invite? Many names come to mind, but let me go with this one. I, I, I had a career 
for 12 years as a professional theater director. And one of the great playwrights who I love is an American playwright named Arthur Miller. He wrote a play called The Death of a Salesman, which I think is one of the greatest plays ever. I've seen it many times with different casts. So if I could have dinner with Arthur Miller, who, by the way, at one point was also married to Marilyn Monroe. So there's a lot, oh. of, lot of juicy stuff there. But <laughs> a dinner with Arthur Miller would be really, really cool. Love it. And who is one of your role models? I'm thinking I admire Richard Branson. I admire, and I don't know Richard at all, but it's just I, I admire what he has created. To me, he's the ultimate entrepreneur. But what I get from him, he also values life and lifestyle. And I, there's a certain irreverence about him. So he's a slightly out-of-the-box entrepreneur. So all of that, I just, uh, he speaks to me. Yeah. Yes, 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 I can see that. And do you still remember what you wanted to become when you were a little kid? I, I grew up in German diplomatic foreign circles. And my vision at the time was sort of what mom and dad wanted from me, which is be become a German diplomat. And most of the kids I grew up with all became diplomats like their parents. So it was actually a very rebellious act of me to not do that. But so I, I had that was my dream. But I know now that was my parents' dream. It wasn't mine. Yes. And what is the most important quality in a leader? I think great leaders listen to others so great leaders are connected to what's going on around them what matters they're not locked into just their ideas so i love a leader who has is visionary and has a vision but the ability to listen and i'm going to say really listen not fake listen is really important and what is one thing that we cannot google about you I'm a very mediocre cook. Uh, I spent way too much time eating out in restaurants. It's funny. I just had a meeting with a nutritionist and I had to admit to this. And, and I don't even have a great desire to become a better cook. You know, I, I can do some things, but that would be sort of a little flaw of mine that you wouldn't <laughs> find anywhere else. And last question for the rapid fire. How would your family and friends describe you in one word? I'm going to throw out a word that I, I don't think applies to me anymore, but and I'm going to use the German version, and I'll translate it. When when I was growing up, my parents always said, Du bist ja so eigensinnig. Ah. And that, trans, that translates into maybe stubborn, you want to do things your way. Um, and that it was always said as a negative, like I shouldn't be that way. And I do have a little bit of that trait, but as an adult, You know, the fact that I, I know what I want sometimes, I don't want to compromise, I don't want to negotiate it away with you, that that's actually an asset. But when yes. I was a child, that was seen as a liability. The one word that came to my mind now is character. Yeah. Love and that. I know we learned already bits and pieces about you, yes. but I'm very curious to hear more about your story. Say, what are the key milestones that led you to where you are today? I have a checkered past, so I've done many different things, and I've learned to also see that as an asset. And let me maybe start with a story. I remember this was, I remember the year 1999. I had just gotten a job to be a big corporate trainer for an international training company. 
this was the first week on the job, and I was sitting at a bar at a hotel in Midtown Manhattan mm-hmm. with a woman with a woman who was a participant in a seminar that somebody else was teaching. I was observing it to learn this program. And I was going, is this really the right thing that I should be doing in my life? Like, is this a complete mistake that I took this job? And this woman, who was the head of learning and development for a big Wall Street firm, said to me, you know, I have this philosophy in life. I believe that every seven years, I need to do something completely different. She said, seven years ago, I left Paris, and I feel my next seven-year itch coming up. And then we just kept talking, but she didn't realize how impactful that moment was because she really gave me permission to say, just enjoy this job for what it is now. It's not forever. At some yes. point, you can do something totally different, right? And you you may know, since we both have Germanic roots, you know, um, Germany has changed a lot as a culture, and it's much more fluid than it was. But when I was growing up, you study one thing, and that's what you do for the rest of your life. Yes. You know? And this woman was saying, no, it doesn't have to be that way. So coming back to me, uh, I had a 12-year career as a successful professional theater director. And then I'll, I'm, I'm very transparent. I was I was diagnosed with, with HIV in the late 80s. And I want to just first of all say I've been healthy the entire time. I've been very blessed. But I realized at that point that my life in show business was maybe a little too toxic and workaholic for me. So the biggest truly liberating change that let me know that I could do this forever, I left New York, where I was happily having a career in show business. I moved to a tiny island in the Caribbean, Tobago, 30,000 people. I lived there for a year, and I became a windsurfer. And I became a really good windsurfer. Uh, that was such a radical departure. And and when, it, but the, the key part was after a year in Tobago, I felt like I'm done with Tobago. Yep. I can't wait to get the hell out of here. But what I realized, whatever whatever spirit, God, higher power wanted me to learn in Tobago, those lessons I learned, and I could only learn them there. I have many milestones, but let me just share one more. I, I have a slightly competitive side too. So I remember this was in 2003, sitting with an acquaintance in a cafe in, in New York, right off of Christopher Street in the village. And this fellow who taught at um, at a college in New York, and he had just gotten a book deal to write a book about improvisational acting. And I'm going to be very honest right now. I my judgmental self kicked in and said, mm. in my mind, I, I, I said all the right things. I said to him, oh, I'm so happy for you. This is great. My mind went, the world doesn't need another book on improvisational acting. This is not pretty. But the second part that kicked in, I immediately went, if he can get a book deal, I can get a book deal. And six weeks later, I had a book deal for my first book with his publisher, with a little advance. and. Uh, that book changed my life because I realized if I have a book, I have to create a business around it. I can work for other people. So these are just two of my milestones that radically shifted the professional choices I made. Wow. That is so impressive. And I do have a few questions. You mentioned showbiz and you mentioned two words like toxic and workaholic. 
And let, let me add two things. In my experience, because it's showbiz or theater is a very insecure profession. You never know when yeah. you're going to do your next job. Uh, and I was the artistic director of a theater company for a while. So that was my day job. And that was a cool job. So I had a salary. But I always felt like I had to chase something else. I felt like what I had wasn't enough. Mm. And and I felt like I couldn't say no to things. So if somebody called me, would you do this or would you do that? I would do it on top of what I was already doing. So there was always this, you know, that, that American phrase, FOMO, fear of missing yes. out. That was always this, oh, you know, I can't say no to this. I have to say yes. Now, in hindsight, I realized this was all based on fear thinking and in a scarcity mindset. But for me, I didn't know how to do it differently. I was blessed that I was working a lot, which you want yes. in business. Interesting. And I guess this never enough then also links back to the TEDx talk you did, right? Yeah, I, I, I've done a TEDx talk called Enough Already. And because I love that we're talking about this because part of how we're successful in life, yes. where we are is, is excavating the old stories that we all carry and making them conscious. And and my story is, I think, feels like a very German story, but I think it's universal. So my parents, you know, I was a good student. But the message I got, being good wasn't enough. I had to be the best. Mm -hmm. So when I came home and they said, what kind of grade did you get? They would always ask, what grade did the others get? You know, so this feeling was if I didn't have the best grade, that wasn't enough. You know, so there was a lot of messaging around that. Yes. And it was very liberating. I went back to school in my 40s and actually to NYU, where you also studied. We both studied at New York University. Yes. Because I wanted to get a degree in organizational psychology. And at the, then at the time, I realized that B average is just fine. Nobody's going to love me more if I have an A average. Yes. It, it took me 20 some years to learn that lesson. But you know what? Better 20 plus years to learn it than never <laughs> ever learning it. Thank you, Johanna. I agree. <laughs> And the other thing I picked up, I love your honesty when your friend was talking about his book deal, that you had this question, why not me? I mean, this is how I scribbled it down. And I find that one so powerful because, yeah. And, Why and, not? And let me build on that. And I want to relate this to our listeners is because um, we're both executive coaches. I don't believe our job ever is to copy and literally emulate other people. But if there are people who've done something that we might also aspire to, Why not say if she can do it, if he can do it, I can do it too. Or even if I like the way they conduct themselves in the meeting, I'm not going to act like them, but I can learn from that person. Yes. Like one thing, and, and I wanted just to, to add to this, when I started my own business, you know, we're in a business where people make a lot of money, like the top people. So one decision I made early on, and I tend to manifest stuff, was I want to play at the top 5% of my industry in terms of the quality of client I have and the kind of money I get paid. And that's, I feel, feel like a very American way of thinking. But I said, why not? Again, if they can do it, I can do it too. And the one word I want to throw in here is role modeling. Yeah. I had this discussion the other day and we were like, it was, 
not related to this, but it was when you look at little girls in Germany now with Angela Merkel having been the chancellor for so long, they can be chancellor. Why not? Because you need to see it to believe it. Yeah, absolutely. So today we want to talk more about disruption and I hear a number of disruptions <laughs> in your own story. Yes, I, you, you heard correctly, Johanna. And now you even captured more disruptive stories in your recent book. It's called The Difference, Essays on Loss, Courage and Personal Transformation. And I'm sure we yeah. will get to that more. Sure. To get started, what kind of disruptions are you talking about? Well, I can tell personal stories, but I also mm -hmm. let me maybe start with talking about the clients that I serve. I'm a coach to people who are already very successful. So these tend to be CEOs of big companies or, or people in the C-suite. And what I've noticed is many of them, and me as well, you know, we, we have goals and we have ambitions and we pursue them. And once we get to a certain point, and for my clients, it's usually when they get to around late 40s or early 50s. They, uh, they have that title they wanted. They're making more money than they thought they would ever make. And then the question is, do I want to keep climbing? What else do I want to do? And then the deeper question, obviously, what will make me happiest? Uh, what is a way in which I can be a service that maybe I cannot do in my current role? So, but it requires disrupting your own thinking of what the next step would be for you. And it requires the courage to be very honest about that. Uh, another thing that I'm sure you hear in your own work is people say, I love my job, but I hate the politics where yeah. I work. The underlying assumption is that you have to put up with it that you have to play the game to succeed. And we can disrupt that thinking. You don't have to play any game to succeed. We don't. That's just another story, right? So that means I can create the disruption by really pausing and taking a look in the mirror and asking the question, what is fulfillment for me? Yeah, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. question. And as we go through phases in life, I think of the, the seven-year chain yeah. story they start with is is to allow ourselves to have different aspirations at different times in our lives. So what I thought I wanted when I was 20 and what I think I want when I'm 40, I hope those are a little different. <laughs> I, I want to share this story. I'm not going to mention the person. Um, is, a, is a very famous motivational speaker and author. And I saw a post of, of his on social media, and he said, I want to be 101 and standing on the stage and, and keep motivating and inspiring people. And this guy is probably around 16 now. And my reaction was, that's kind of sad. You don't want to discover new things or do different things. You want to do the same thing for the next 40 years. You know, so my mindset is, I want to say, disrupt yourself a little bit, please. Like, like the right answer would be is, what else can I learn and discover? And the fact that I'm doing this for now is great, but you get my point, right? I do. And the question I have now, looking at your clients, how many of them do quit their job with that mindset? Well, here's the, the, the beauty of supporting people who are already successful. 
and who then have to ask themselves, what does more success look like? We're usually not coaching toward being more successful. So it's, it's really a, a drop deeper within about, to, to, and I loved your language, what will be more fulfilling for me? Is this the most fulfilling job I can have? Let me add the story. There's a, I, I'm blessed to work, to have been working with the CEO who I coached at one point, uh, who I've known for about 15 years. And, and he keeps becoming CEO at other companies. He has a lot of money. He doesn't have to work for money, you know, and, and, and I, he brings me in to support his leadership teams. He works because he loves working with teams that work for him. So he loves working with people where he gets up in the morning. He says, I want to talk to them. I want to yes. challenge them. He loves being called the CEO mentor leader who nurtures the next generation. That's what makes him happy. It's not making more. He likes money, but that's not why he shows up for work. And and as he understands that, that's what keeps him working. And the one thought I just had, I feel like there's always this misconception that work is no fun. I mean, if you do the right thing, uh, it can be fun that you really don't want to stop. And I believe that, again, if I am a leader of a team, Creating fun starts with me, which meaning I can have just the belief that it's possible. Work, work can be enjoyable. Yes. Uh, I, believe, I believe the more successful people work with a light touch and not a heavy touch. So a certain light-handedness actually gets a lot more done. And, and when I lead that way, I allow other people to show up in a similar way, and, and, and we amplify that spirit which i think i think leads to a lot more productivity you know it's, it's sort of a no-brainer and and going back to your clients when you you go with them through the process of discovering what would be more fulfilling more enjoyable how do you lead them or guide them to really go down that road uh such a wonderful question when i'm hired that's not what i'm hired for I'm usually hired because somebody I support, there's some kind of wall that they hit. So the wall can be is they're not doing their best work. The wall often is they pissed too many people off. The wall is that people don't want to be on their team and are quitting. You know, so that those are the walls. So we start with written goals. You know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an old school coach. We have a, a goals, a plan that the person I'm supporting agrees to. You know, we both, it's like a coaching contract. If you go yes. to coaching school, you, you learn how to do that. But then the work quickly drops deeper beyond that. So that's the starting point. And in the end, I think for every single person, no matter where we started is, how can I, it's, I feel like I sound very Oprah, how can I bring my best, my best self in this role? I think best self at that level is always winning through other people. Meaning, how can I enjoy working with others, bring out the best in them, uh, and and what is the deepest satisfaction for me in my work? And when I tap into that, that emanates to everybody I work with. So even though we don't start there, we almost always end up there. I mean, the one thing that is also always um, taught in coaching school is that when change is becoming eminent, the inner doubts become the loudest. 
Mm-hmm. I, I guess that would be the same for our audience that are aware that maybe the current job is not the best thing, but it's safety because it's comfortable and we know it. And jumping into the cold water could be so, so, so scary. Yeah. Do you have like a, a tip on how to jump in the water without going under? Well, going to the water is is, is a metaphor for a lot of things. Yes. So I'm going to go to <laughs> – this is literally where my – this is literally where my mind went. Um, I would say 50% of the people who I'm coaching, again, senior executives, yes. C-suite, are fully engaged in the work they're doing. Most of them love where they are, and they're at the same time entertaining offers from other companies. That's sort of normal at that level. And I think there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes what happens if somebody talks to you about another offer, you go, shoot, where I am sounds so much better than what they're offering. Or, but it could also say, oh, there is something there that that this place can never be. So instead of hitting my head against the wall, you know, and that's in a way giving yourself permission to disrupt yourself uh, if and when necessary. When I was looking at your book there, you capture, summarize stories from people where the disruption was an actual event. Yeah. It's funny. I, I have a, you know, I have four books out, but the but one that just came out is called The Difference and uh, subtitle is Essays on Loss, Courage, and Personal Transformation. And I asked my, my co-editor, Rosemary Ravenel, and I asked eight really successful people if you had to identify the, the one thing that made the biggest difference in your life that changed the direction of what you're doing and the choices you're making what was that moment and i could mention all eight but let me just zero in on on two one is a woman named melissa smith she lives in new york i met her we both met in the 1990s so we've known each other for a long time she had always had a secret yearning to learn more about boxing maybe becoming a boxer. There weren't many women boxers. So when I met her, she was already um, in her early 40s. It's the first time she went to a boxing gym. So that was something she was doing for herself. Yes. Fast forward, when she was in her early 60s, she had a chance to write a book about the history of women's boxing. She's become the preeminent authority on women's boxing in the world. There's, there's a magazine called Ring Magazine that each week ranks women boxers. She's on the committee that ranks them. So something that was she was drawn to, she had to give herself permission to do it, is something that's a very important part of her professional life now. Wow. Um, a- another story is a, f- a fellow in the book named Dr. Tom Garcia. He He was a very successful chiropractor for 30 years in Colorado. Successful, wonderful family. And then a good friend of his that we met in a men's group was clearly entering a dying process. And Tom decided, and in coordination with his wife, to bring him into their house and so be caretakers because he felt like Tom's family wasn't doing it. So as Tom and his wife and family took care of this fellow over the last last year and a half of his life, Tom discovered 
that he liked to go into the woods. He liked to listen to nature. He liked to gather wisdom from being in nature. And he discovered a shamanic site within him. Somebody who was drawn to fire, fire ceremonies. So fast forward, Tom's professional identity in the world right now is uh, as a shamanic healer, fire ceremonialist. People come from all over to Colorado to work with him. So that's a pretty major disruption, right? Caused by, but caused by, I think, him willing to to listen to his own voices as he and his family were taking care of a friend who was dying. You know, and and the, the moral of the story is it can feel easier to not listen. The change is very radical. Um, my change was, as I mentioned, it was very radical to go from having a job as an artistic director with a theater company in New York and say, I'm going to windsurf for a year and debate. Yes, it's and huge. I'll, 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 I'll tell you the story because this is German to German. <laughs> the, the phone call I dreaded the most was calling my mother. and. I'm going to say it in English, but this was conducted in German, and telling her that what I was going to do. So I, this is roughly how the call went. I said, Mom, I'm, gonna, um, I'm going to give up my job with the creative arts team. That was that was the company where I was artistic head. She said, oh, um, what are you going to do? I'm going to move to Tobago. Hmm. She said, what are you going to do there? And I said, nothing and there was this pause and my mother god bless her said well you know what's best for you and uh that changed the relationship to my mother for the rest of my life yes i didn't know that she was able to say that to me but obviously that voice we need to be that voice for ourselves right we need to be able to say to ourselves you know what's best for you so the fact that my mom was able to do that changed everything. It's beautiful. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is this listening to your inner voice. Because yeah. I was just thinking when those things happen in life, I think it's difficult to pinpoint and say, oh, that is a major disruption. Because you also said that the people that shared the stories in your book, that they had to think about what was the moment, the one defining one. So it was not apparent all the time where to pinpoint that. So to me, that sounds like we need to have this mindset shift to listen to ourselves and follow the inner voice. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I believe in, I believe in slowing down over speeding up. I believe in, time for reflection over constantly doing like one lesson I've learned from some of the really successful CEOs I coach. They say the hardest thing for me is to have thinking time for myself because uh, I can already as is, I can't make everybody happy. Everybody, I, I never have enough time to be available to everybody. So most of them have found a way of systematizing the time they need to think and reflect, like the non-negotiable time, um, which is where we listen to the voices you mentioned. We may discover some things that are uncomfortable. Yes. But I'm convinced 
that those times lead us to a happier version of ourselves. I can resonate with that so much that sometimes I'm avoiding it. I listen to a podcast instead, or I entertain myself that I'm not thinking about the serious things. We all do that. I mean, I do, I do that. Uh, and I'm going to go back to something I learned from my first career in theater. You know, if you're an actor, you know, a performer, you have to learn how to be in the right state of mind when the camera goes on or when you enter stage. So you have to have some tools to get to that way of being. In the adult professional world that we live in, I uh, there's a whole field call of research called neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Uh, I'm not a hardcore NLP person, but what a, NLP talks about what's called anchoring techniques. And you can all Google it if, you, if you're not familiar with anchoring techniques, which are very quick, uh, almost like hacks, ways of putting yourself into your most relaxed, most present state of mind. And anchoring techniques are great before you go into a meeting. I would say don't ever just run into a meeting. Center yourself. Uh, like what I, what I do is if, if, I, if I'm having a bad morning and I have to do a phone call, I do a little anchoring technique, 30 seconds. But all of these are habits that help us showing up as, as our best version. And they can be learned. Of course, I, I like to distract myself like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I. I mean, I always like to get like those little nuggets that we can yeah. reapply the very same day. When I hear the center yourself for 30 seconds, how do we do that exactly? Yeah. I'm going to give you one example of how we do it. Anchoring techniques play with um, you learning what stimulates well-being inside of you. A very commonly known technique is often called like self-talk or self-affirmation. And this is what I do. Let's say if I'm, if I'm going to use a New York example. Let's say if, I, if I'm showing up at a meeting at 6th Avenue and I have to take the elevator up to the 25th floor of some building, I will enter the elevator. And when I'm there, I am using some self-talk. Now, the, the most important part is discovering self-talk that works for you. So I'm going to be very transparent. I'm going to tell you what I say to myself. And you might go, gosh. That sounds horrible. That's never what I would say to myself. And I'm saying, I wouldn't want you to say the same thing. Your job is to figure out what works for you. But what I say to myself, and I really do this a lot, I am a vibrant vehicle of light and love. I am a vibrant vehicle of light and love. And I say that because energetically, those words mean something yeah. to me. They change how I feel my body. I know I show up as a lighter version of myself. And I say it four or five times quietly, and it always changes. The, the way I walk out of the elevator is different from how I felt when I walked into the elevator. Yeah, yeah. So this is just one example. There are other techniques, but go ahead and Google anchoring techniques. Yes. And let me just throw in one more thing, because um, when you take the elevator for that many floors, you can also just go into a power pose take uh -huh. a few deep breaths and that should also shift the energy so for anybody who is on elevators i love power poses uh, I, I especially I, i'm a kinesthetic body person so especially if you experience mm. things kinesthetically 
which of our power poses are, you know, you, you change how you feel in your body. So absolutely. I have one more question. So disruption can help us to change the trajectory. I know that's a fancy word, trajectory. (laughs) Trajectory. Trajectory of our life. And does it always lead to more success? I believe that disruption gets us to the next lesson we're supposed to learn. You know, so uh, I I tend to manifest things. You know, so I, when, when I have a goal, it tends to sort of work out in my life. So the question is, what dream am I chasing? And at some point, am I chasing an old dream rather than something that wants to emerge that's true? So I believe in continuous evolution and fluidity. Um, so when we disrupt ourselves, like I told you about Tobago, yes, I didn't know other than I got some strong inkling that I wanted to be wins- I wanted to windsurf, I wanted to learn that, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. But on a deeper level, by living on this remote island, um, I had I learned other lessons about myself. I didn't know going there what I was supposed to learn. The beauty of that year was when I knew I had to get the hell out of Tobago and go back to New York. I enjoyed my life in New York in such a different way because of what I learned there. So that was the power of that disruption that sometimes we don't know what we're learning in the next act uh, and it will be a repeal. I love it. And that better living and this learning is success itself that's a beautiful definition of success i love the way Mm. you put that time is flying actually to wrap this up (laughs) to wrap this up is there still anything else you want to add on disruption and ben i still have three questions for you i would urge everybody to play with disruption in, in like very simple mundane ways for example if you always drive the same way to go to a certain place just try a different route. It may take longer, but you'll see something different out of the car or the bus or wherever you are. It's a simple everyday disruption. Join a club or a society or a group of people that normally you wouldn't hang out with. Give an example from my own life. I remember my friend Anne. My friend Anne was giving a talk to a group of accountants. I don't normally hang out with accountants, but it was wonderful being this meeting with a whole group of accountants. Yes. That was that was energizing for me. But on my own, I wouldn't have gotten there. So these are all very little ways in which we can, in a daily basis, choose disruptions that, again, bring us to lessons and insights that will help us. Beautiful. What is coming up next for you? I love that question because I have a podcast. I ask my guests that as well. Mm. Um, I There's more writing that wants to come up. You know, I've, I've written a bunch of books. Uh, there's a novel that wants to be written and there's a memoir that want to be written. And, and it's, I think it's the first time that she's saying out loud what this is. So for me is allowing space for that um, part of my own disruption. And I'm exploring this with my partner is possibly living in another country again for a while. But, but, but again, without saying yes. it has to be, it has to be for this long or that long, but why not? You know, that's all I know for now. But I definitely, I believe in doing less over more, being clear on what gives me enjoyment, having time for it. 
I love it. So inspiring. And the two of us, we've been introduced through Dana P. Road when he was here. And I asked him, who else should I have on? And then he said, oh, you need to talk to Achim. So Achim, who else should I have on? The, a woman who immediately comes to mind. She's a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Pamela Mitchell. She has a high public profile. She's often called the queen of reinvention. Wow. She, she wrote a, a classic book 15 years around um, sort of the the handbook of, of about how to reinvent yourself. Before that was fashionable and trendy. So, And she has a business called the Reinvention Institute. I have a feeling you would really enjoy speaking with Pamela Mitchell. It sounds like it. And to um, to close it, for everybody who is inspired now, they should A, listen to your podcast, My Fourth Act. I assume they will find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or yeah. wherever. They can buy your book, The Difference, Essays on Lost Courage and Personal Transformation. Mm. How else can they stay in touch with you? Uh, you find me in all the usual places. Uh, I, I'm on LinkedIn, but I have a personal website, achimnovak.com. I I'm very good at engaging and communicating with folks. So if you have a question, if you want to chat with me, I, I respond. I'm very approachable. But LinkedIn works. AchimNovak.com works. There's a website for the book. It's called the difference slash book.com. So if you Google me, you'll find lots of stuff. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm inspired and I love the disruptions now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. And yes, you are still listening. If you have not yet subscribed to the show, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. This way, you will get the next episode in your inbox when it drops on Tuesday. With that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.